Welcome back to 22 Glimpses into the Future, and I'm now joined by Emily. Hello. Hi. Uh, Emily is the creator of Wild Tales, which is a board game. Yes. So would you like to share what it is, how it works, how do you play? <laughs> so it is a board game that I designed for autistic children, um, and it is a social tile flipping game. Um, it's pretty simple. You go around the board, you flip tiles, you get points. But the way you do that is by answering questions or carrying out activities on cards. And they're all made to be quite easy to carry out for autistic children who might not be as highly functioning as other children. Uh, so they can play together, e either in a collaborative mode or against uh, each other in different teams. So it has the kind of opportunity for both collaboration and competition, but yeah. it's never like heavy competition no it's yeah. just kind of playful competition because you're still doing silly tasks and finding out stuff about each other but you can play in two different teams or one team against the game itself absolutely so what what, what was the inspiration for the project and where did it begin it's a brilliant question uh i don't know i just i love board games i really like the toying game module at uni and so i was like I'm going to have to be working on a project for a year. I want it to be something that I'm not going to hate. So I was like, I'm going to do board games. Um, and then I love inclusivity. A lot of my work has been in inclusive design, uh, even from like GCSE and A level. Um, so I was like, I'm going to make an inclusive board game. Um, and then I spoke to my parents about my siblings who are autistic and what kind of games they like and kind of went from there and like based on a lot of the games that they did enjoy and kind of pushed away from the games that I know that they hate. So... And yeah, I guess my of, siblings. Yeah, so started to formulate a little bit of a design direction Yeah. based on what you knew worked, what didn't work, yeah. and what was needed, like where there was the gap in the kind of market. Yeah, because obviously autism is a spectrum, so like my siblings' experience is not the only experience, but there are quite a few of them, and they have very varying experiences, um, and so you can kind of figure out what is like too stimulating or too competitive, those kind of things. So you had a lot of kind of almost a family of test subjects. Yes, yes. My, my little guinea pigs. Oh, brilliant. So obviously you had to go through quite a lot of ethics to manage to start this project. Yeah, I think it was about 40 odd pages okay. um, at the end. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of ethics. Obviously, it's really useful to have that kind of stuff um, because especially if you've not worked with at-risk adults or children before, it's really good to have that guidance. I have, so it wasn't quite so... It, it was kind of straightforward for me. It just took a very long time. Um, but things like making sure that when I tested the game, I sent it to the uh, the test school rather than going myself. Because if I'd gone myself, I would need an entirely different ethics thing because you're not supposed to do testing by yourself in external environments, mm. uh, particularly with, you know, at-risk adults or children. Um, so I just sent the, the game with a lot of instructions so that people who could deal with any breakdowns that happened, uh, like professionals would be there and it wasn't um, on me who doesn't have those qualifications. Ah, that makes sense. So you had instructed professionals how the game worked yep. and the kind of information you wanted to gain, like what you wanted to learn about, yep. and then left them to do the process. Yeah. Because obviously they're the people trained to do that and who are the best at it. Yeah, so it was one for ethics, one for the child's enjoyment and safety, um, so they could change anything they needed to, or like they changed some of the rules, not like massively, but like um, they like reduced the points. Um, so originally it was like, let's say 25 points, they reduced it to 15 because they realized the kids wanted a quicker game, mm. and that's a really easy and quick thing to do. But obviously if I'd been doing it, I probably wouldn't have like realized to do that. But yeah, because obviously these staff members know these kids very well because they're their teachers and one-to-ones. Yes. So they can recognize their needs way before it gets to a point which is upsetting. Great. And that's actually a fantastic kind of part of testing because it let you almost live iterate as you were given feedback of, oh, shorter games might be positive or yeah. certain cards weren't taken to so well, for example. Yeah. Did you have to do a lot of refining to kind of get that deck of like actions and questions um not really because 
autism as a spectrum. So there was one that was um, do a staring contest. And mm. I know for a fact, obviously, eye contact is very difficult for a lot of individuals with autism. And so I was intrigued to see how it would kind of be received. And obviously, mm. so with the game, you can skip any action cards you're not comfortable with. So it was just put in there as an option. And I did get some feedback being like, I don't like that card. I don't want to do it. And that's like perfectly normal. But then I also got other ones that like they really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, particularly if it's with your close friends, it's kind of different. And they're choosing to do it in a fun way. It's not like you're not doing conversation properly because you're not holding eye contact. It's it's different. Yeah, you're not you're not like staring up someone because of something that's negative. You're having fun. Yeah. And it's with your best friend. And yeah, I yeah. see that. Like staring contests are kind of fun if it's you and a good friend. Versus, yeah. yeah. So I, I left the card in in the end because I, I got mixed feedback and just made sure it was really clear in the rules that you could skip any task that you didn't want to do. Mm. Um, and some of the like the tasks that people had said they didn't really like, um, I did almost watered down versions of them. Um, so another one that involved eye contact was just say everyone's eye color at the table. So mm. it's just quick glances around to see what everyone's eye color was in case you forgot because you might. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was just like kind of giving lots of options. And then when I got lots of feedback that was kind of um, like going against itself, I decided to add whiteboard cards so they could write their own tasks. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, I can give as many options as I want, but that it does reduce the replayability if they can't make their own. Um, and the idea is was, would be to host a website where you could print your own as well if you wanted to. That's very, very cool. So prior to the testing, which obviously you did a lot of and was all very kind of seriously planned, yeah. there was obviously a lot of research that you did. And were, were there some specific people you talked to kind of prior to having done the ethics and testing or any specific things kind of you read that built the foundation of it? So there isn't much academic research um, at all. I found two papers. Uh, One of them was quite helpful. They were both about teaching games to autistic children and they kind of took it in different directions. Um, And one of them I found really useful and the other one I felt kind of was not really ethically sound Um, because the way it did it is it gave them vouchers if they did the task successfully that they could then um, use on like little tiny toys or sweets or something. But that meant that the children were who were struggling could see their friends getting these rewards, quite, you know, really visible rewards, and they were being left out. And, like, because it wasn't being done separately, like, it was being done in a group, they could see it happening. And, like, there were some other things where they just kind of, it wasn't very ethical, but it was still interesting to be like, this is really not an area of research that is academically published. Yeah, clearly there's a gap in academia there. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because literally two papers, and both of them, I think, were around eight years old. Okay, so when you had your kind of list of citations, it was, no, there are actually only two. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, a lot of my research just came from, I'm, I am part of the board game community. Um, mm. A lot of my friends are, and then obviously my siblings are, and so is my dad. So I spent a lot of time talking to my dad about his experience with playing board games with my siblings. Mm. Uh, I contacted a school, a special educational needs school in the UK, and I contacted them and was like, what kind of, can you carry out an observation for me? Don't like interfere or anything, just like what kind of games do they play in their spare time? What kind of interactions um, come from them? Um, which was interesting because that was so different to the data I got from my family. Yeah. Because they're two different environments. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because your family's at your home. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, so when it came to building, obviously, um, we'll, there'll be pictures of the game that if you, the listener, want to take a look at, please do. It's absolutely beautiful. Thanks. But it was, you know, it's kind of a what laser cut wooden book with um, artwork inside and little slots for all the tiles. Yeah. And you did all the artwork yourself. I did. It took a very long time. Uh, the artwork is inspired by the artist Carl Ferrin, who do, did the board games Oath and Root. 
Um, so my first kind of sketches were inspired by him and then I kind of stylized them more to my own illustration style. Um, it's not really a style I'd worked in before, so I took a lot of inspiration at first and then kind of branched out a bit. Um, you should check out his work, he's really cool. Um, but yeah, I did all the artwork myself. Building it was interesting um, because you can get board games professionally produced, but they want usually like 200 plus minimum. We That was not in our budget. Um, and a lot of them that will do one-off like prototypes are based in China or America and we didn't have the time or funding to kind of pay that shipping and tax um, because it would be like we want to come in like six weeks it's like that's not quick enough yeah that's um, exactly the case that's often an you know international shipping and then it gets held up in customs and whatever it is yeah but honestly you did an incredible job kind of building your own prototype Thanks. And, you know, I don't think you'd want to make five of them because that would be exhausting. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it took a while to make. But um, I spent a couple of fairly sleepless nights doing a lot of maths on what was the cheapest way to produce it without getting it professionally produced with the different vinyl stickers and companies that produce that kind of thing and laser cutting. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy with it, how it came out. I don't think it's really obvious that it's kind of handmade until you get kind of close and so you see the bubbles in the vinyl and stuff. Yeah, it's the little things, honestly. Otherwise, it looks... It looks like that was the aesthetic you went for, which yeah. in a way it was because yeah. it actually matches the art style of the rest of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is just like the borders where the stickers don't quite match up. Like it's tiny little things and they were always going to be there. So. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's enough for you to keep using it with your family. Oh yeah, definitely. All that kind of, you know, like you have, you have your game now at home, you know? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a designer, what are your next steps, plans, aspirations? Uh, so I've just been offered a job at the grad scheme. So I'm going to be uh, doing that at least for two years. And then after that, I guess we'll see. Uh, the grad scheme is doing like app design and things like that. Um, possibly some illustration for the company, but I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, after that, we, we will see because um, the grad scheme offers a lot of um, areas where you can like learn. So they offer learning courses that you can do during your work hours. So, you know, maybe pick up some more SolidWorks stuff, some more Adobe stuff, learn those skills and then see where I want to go. Brilliant. And if anyone wants to take a look at Wild Tales, look at the artwork, all of that kind of stuff, they can do that on your website, correct? Yes. Um, all of my work from uni that was decent enough um, is on the website. Um, all of Wild Tales is on there, and I'm pretty sure all of the artwork is on there, including some sketches that weren't included in the final game, some character ideas that didn't go through, which I think are neat. So Awesome. And the link to that will be in the episode description for this episode and just, you know, check out Emily's website. And there's also a contact form there, correct? Yes. So if you contact me on that, it will get sent straight to my email. Um, so yeah, you can just contact me using that form with any, any questions you have, queries, anything like that. Yeah. If you want to talk to Emily as a new designer, then that's the place to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's all right. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, this has been 22 Glimpses into the Future and we'll be right back with somebody else. Goodbye.